last week. Paul's going to be preaching on rain this morning, so fantastic weather for that. But let's just pray for Paul um, and what he has to say this morning. Lord, we just lift up Paul to you now. Lord, thank you for him. Thank you for the time and preparation he's put in for this morning. Lord, I just pray that you will just speak through him this morning right now. Lord, come by your spirit. Share what he wants you to share this morning, Lord. I just pray that you'll just fill us up, Lord. Make us expectant. Holy Spirit, we invite you here this morning. Lord, do your work among us as Paul speaks to us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Well, I'm going to have the crackle as well, aren't I? It, um, yeah, and as Nigel shared, if you were here last week, Nigel was speaking, and we're kind of just doing a kind of uh, two-week kind of series. And this series is kind of, in some ways, building on what we were doing before Christmas for those who were here, and Joe referred to it. This kind of pressing into God through kind of prayer and fasting but also in some ways creating the foundation for what God wants us to do this coming year as we step into this new season. And um, Nigel shared about a story that's, uh, if you've been around church for a while, it's well known, but if you're not, it's a story about a guy called Elijah. And um, he was living in a time where the people, the Israelites, were kind of living a kind of divided life. They had kind of divided hearts. They had divided focus. It was a sense of whether their confidence and their trust was going to be in their God, or what was called then Yahweh, or their trust and their confidence was going to be in another God that was around at that time called Baal. And, um, and so as part of this kind of battle, you know, a battle of the hearts, a battle of the hearts and minds, where they were going to be, and they both built, both kind of camps built um, some altars out of stone, and then the winner was going to be the one uh, where God answered by fire. And so they cried out, respectively, and Elijah cried out, and the fire fell. And um, Nigel just highlighted kind of three points, which again I want to highlight because it's to do with this kind of foundation building on it. Please work. No, it's not working. Can you flick it on for me, please? Not going. No, no, back. You've got to go back. Oh, no, got it there. Sorry, no, no. I get, confu- we, we, I get to see both slides here, so it confused me momentarily. Let's get out of the way. And so in this kind of context, you know, Elijah took a bold step. You know, this idea of kind of building this altar, it's like, God, you've got to fall by fire. Because if, if you don't fall by fire, you know, it's going to be, as Nigel mentioned, you know, God himself um, killed. And one of the things that came out of this was this idea of this call of obedience. As we... Stepped into this obedience before Christmas. We had this time of prayer and fasting because we felt like God said to us that we need to do this. And we said yes, and we, different ones of us in different ways, kind of pressed into that. As we go into this season, this fresh season, it's not like, well, that yes and obedience was good. It's now, what is he calling us into to say yes and to step into? Nigel also talked about this altar kind of symbolizing the place of worship and prayer traditionally. Uh, in the Bible. And again, this is something that we are seeking. Whatever God calls us into in this season, it's got to be, be built on that foundation of worship and prayer. Even that what's been mentioned, you know, this come Holy Spirit that's happening tomorrow is just another outworking where collectively we can gather and press into that. And then lastly, the, the fire of God fell. I mean, that's the most crucial bit. That was the key. That's what distinguished the offerings. 
the fire, the manifest presence of God. And that is what I need. And I would, I would stress that. You know, one of the bits, I'm not going to read the passage because Nigel read it, and you can read back because I'm going to read the following verses in a minute. Was it talked about this kind of altar being built from kind of uncut stones? It was kind of like it wasn't polished. What the key theme was the presence of God. And that's what we, we need. Often in my kind of experiences, leadership and dealing with different leaders and dealing with different churches, there's often a lot of conversation about the stones. You know, what's the best kind of stone? And as a person who calls the vineyard my family, I have certain stones which I prefer, if I'm honest ways that the stones look but to be honest all I want is the fire of God because that is what makes the difference those who know me and I'll talk a little bit about something which people call revival and if you don't know what revival is I could give you many definitions but one way is just kind of when God just turns up in such a mighty and powerful way that people cry out and say God I want to follow you without even having to do an appeal and one of the most um, famous stories, you're just going to take it from me if you don't know about revivals, was a guy called Jonathan Edwards. And um, he did a talk called Man in the Hands of an Angry God. What a great title. Coming to that, imagine we had a conference called Man in the Hands of an Angry God. Sign up. Um, and you're not like, oh, this series is called Fire and Rain. I mean, that sounds a lot more attractive. And, um, and then when this guy, I've read the sermon, you can get a hold of the sermon. I mean, I, I'm trying not to be critical, but it was hard work. And it wasn't, but in some ways, it didn't matter, that stone. What mattered was that the presence of God fell upon it. And that's the thing. As we go into this season, we need this. Take these steps to keep saying yes, to keep building these altars again and again of worship and prayer, and to keep crying out for God to fall with fire his presence. So fire was crucial in that story because it proved who's God. Choose this day who you serve. But I'm just going to share a story about rain, which is ironic because last week it choked it down with rain. And this week we got no rain. But the answer by rain was as important as crucial. So I'm going to just, as you need to just flick back to the previous slide where I put up the verses. So I'm going to be reading again from 1 Kings chapter 18. And verses uh, 41 to 46. So this is after all the fires fallen and everybody's like, whoa, he's God. Then Elijah said to Ahab, who was the king at that time, go eat and drink, for there is a sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, which is a mountain, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look towards the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain began started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. And I'm just going to read quickly a couple of verses from James chapter 5, verses um, 17 and 18. Elijah was a human being, even as we are, or some versions say just as we were, are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens 
gave rain and the earth produced its crop. So last week when Nigel was speaking, we had this kind of battle of like who's going to answer with fire. And today we've got another battle. This kind of battle, who's going to reign? As Nigel mentioned last week, this God, I just mentioned that, they were kind of divided between was this God called Baal. And Baal was this God whose kind of reputation was rain. This kind of the, the God of agriculture, the God of provision. And so this was a battle. Who's going to provide? Because we had that was in their mindset. But also in their mindset, they were also aware of the Israelites of a couple of other verses. And I could have chosen quite a few. Uh, Leviticus, all these verses were written before this period of time we're talking about. Leviticus 26, verse 4, this is what God says. I will give you rain in season. Psalm 147, verse 8. I will cause it to rain. And so both of these guys are saying, which God? One, you know, they're both saying that they will cause rain. And so the question again, this battle was, who's going to cause it to rain? And this was crucial. If you've ever been to kind of the Middle East area or any area like that, you'll see that rain is a matter of life and death. I think we don't appreciate it so much in the UK, <laughs> particularly over the last kind of couple of weeks when it's just kind of been raining heavily and we kind of have that image in mind. I can't remember, there's an old hymn like, this kind of green and pleasant land. And, um, and so we don't appreciate this need, this kind of like matter of life and death. You see, rain is, is crucial you know, I lived for a number of years in the Middle East as I was particularly Egypt. And as you came flying into Egypt, all you see is desert. Once you see a bit of green, you know that very soon you will see either the Nile or a tributary from the Nile. And then once you get one from roughly about a mile away from the Nile, then it's desert. It hit me again. Last year I was in a place called Siwa, which is right on the border with Libya. It's an oasis town. Just desert as far as you can see. And suddenly... There on the horizon, you just see some trees, and then you know quite close by is water. Water is crucial. You know, it's to do with kind of life or no life. It's to do with abundance and no abundance. It's to do with weariness or refreshment. It's to do with life or it's to do with death. Deserts are crucial, and the need for water to see that transformation, even the verse that... Uh, Andy spoke at the beginning to see streams in the desert. But in the Bible, deserts were more than just a physical thing. They were a spiritual thing as well. And again, a lot of the verses in the Old Testament talk about, you know, the need for rain, the need for transformation, the need for healing that comes with his provision. Rain is a sign of God's blessing, uh, is a sign of God's goodness and generosity and mercy. And so the reason why this is important is because I don't know about you, we need the reign of God, we need the blessing of God, we need the goodness of God in our lives, in our communities, uh, in our country. You know, this is partly why we're talking about it, because it links partly into what we are talking about before Christmas. Part of the reason that we were praying and fasting, saying, God, we want more. Even before Nigel had done his talk and I did my talk, there was that bit in us that was saying, we want to see more happen in our fruits. It's our personal cry. It's our cry of our community. Because we are in the desert. And I just share some things. It's not that to kind of create gloom and, uh, and doom. But as a Christian, I believe in reality. But then I also believe in a greater reality. And that's God. 
And, um, and so you got things like just economics, you know, you know, just looking at the economy at the moment, just even reading the BBC this morning, where, I can't remember the name of this, that sounds bad, the name of the Labour leader, but um, just the NHS just kind of being broken. Um, just some of the, the figures we've heard recently on mental health. My daughter Sophie was back from university and she just threw out this comment. She goes, I have no, I have no friends who know who, who they are and what they're for. I was like, wow. And my, Sophie's one of these people that has lots of friends. Um, you know, the last survey, that finally the figures have come out from the last you know, survey and you know, the amount of people who believe in God has gone down. And we could go through list after list and kind of paint maybe some aspects of desert. And what we need is rain. We need to see the rain of God come to fall down. So just a few things, if you just, now you need, yeah, flick on to, back one. Oh, yeah, got, oh, sorry, I keep doing the same. I got to look at that one. Firstly, it's finally crack it. I don't know what it is today. Rain comes from God. You know, we can't kind of create it. I know they can seed clouds, but you need a cloud to seed. In this story, you have no clouds. And, um, and so we need God. God is always the starting point. God, we need you. God, we've got to cry out to you. There's a verse in uh, 2 Chronicles where, again, the Israelites are in a bit of a mess in a situation. And the, the king at that time was a guy called Hezekiah. And he cries out, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And so one of the things we want to do as, as a church, we, in this season, as we go into this season, and it's a kind of thing that kind of carries on and carries on, is to keep our eyes upon God. He is the answer to every problem. He has the solution to every situation. He's the one that can bring peace where nothing else can, be, can bring peace. He's the one that can bring lasting hope. And so we need to go to him. Rain comes from God. Secondly, we have a part. God in his goodness. Oh, my mind would have better with my glasses. Where are my glasses? God in his goodness invites us to get involved. He loves to have us partner with us. That's why I read that additional passage in James chapter 5, where he invited Elijah to be part of this kind of process, to pray. And I love that passage because it says, and sometimes it's a man like us, a person like us. And if you read the next chapter, and I think Nigel said that we're having a visiting speaker next week, and they're going to be looking at 1 Kings 19, you really begin to see his humanity it's very easy to read passages like this and go, whoa, Elijah, that amazing man, the amazing prophet. Whoa, making fire fall. That's just fantastic. But when you read 19, it's a little bit easier to kind of associate with him. You, I'm not going to kind of rob the sermon for next week, but you, you become aware of somebody who's aware of his fears and his weaknesses and his vulnerability. Yes, a person like us. But in some ways, a person like us who is willing to kind of step out and take the promises of God. And so like the promise there, as we read in, in, in Zechariah chapter 10, 10, verse 1, it says, Ask the Lord for rain in the springtime. It is the Lord who makes the storm clouds. It gives showers of rain to man and plants the field to everyone. It was a person like us. But yeah, he took hold of something. He took hold. He was a man of faith. 
Why? Because he knew God and he knew God's heart. He knew his nature. He knew his goodness. That gave him a confidence to step out in his prayer. That gave him the confidence that he could go like we just read. He went up to King Ahab and he knows 18 verse 41. He says, get up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. I love that. Two bits. Firstly, the sound and then this idea of an abundance of rain. Not that it's going to be like a little rain, a little drizzle. There's going to be an abundance. I don't know about you. That's what I want, an abundance. But there wasn't like a cloud in, in, in the sky. There was nothing like, you know, I've been looking at the BBC News and it says, you know, in a couple of days' time, you know, rain's going to be coming. There hadn't been any rain for, eight, you know, for like three years. There was no indicator, no sign that was going to be anything there. Nothing that normally you would kind of grasp hold or that kind of gives you a confidence. You know, a bit like sometimes when I'm kind of driving, uh, I wouldn't say I'm the greatest lover of snow, but I know I, I kind of appreciate it for my wife, Katie, who really loves snow. And, and it's beginning to rain, and you realize the temperature's beginning to drop, you know, like 2, 1, and you think, ah, there might be snow coming. It carries on staying this snow. There was, there was nothing to give an indicator. Nothing. You know, that word nothing in Hebrew means nothing. And so there was nothing there. And yet... He had a confidence in God. To use a, a, a verse there, I got up there from the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. He was a man of faith because he said, he lived by faith, not by sight. You see, if you lived by sight, you couldn't see anything. But lived by faith. Now, this Greek bit is true. The bit about living by faith, actually in Greek means living by, it says, his faith, as in God's faith. Which I find encouraging because as soon as I think if it's my faith, but when it's his faith, that's unchangeable. That's solid. And so he rankles from God. We have a part, but he was stepping out in the aspect of God. And as it says there in Hebrews, which is a great chapter on faith, it says, Now faith is the substance of fiends hoped for, for the evidence of fiends not seen. Again, think, he couldn't see it. There was no evidence of that. But he had faith in the substance of fiends hoped for. And where is that hope rooted? It's in God and who he is and what he's like. And I believe, you know, as for us as a church, this is something that God is again and again inviting. In some ways, it's not an old invitation, but it's a kind of fresh invitation of this lifestyle, this mind step of stepping into. Those who know me for many years know I have this definition of leadership of systematically and progressively rearrange your lives to become like Jesus. I felt like God said to me, come up with a new definition, Paul. And, and so uh, this is my new definition of discipleship um, or apprenticeship, which is a language you often use in this church. Learning to live without fear, hurry, or anger, and learning to live with his faith, love, and joy. Learning to live without fear, hurry, anger. If you want me to expand on it, I will expand it another time, but not right now. But learning to live with his faith, love, and and joy. And as we step into this season as a church, my encouragement to myself and to us is to begin to go down that route of apprenticeship. So we can see the issues. We can see the def- desert, uh, desert, desert. We can even be moved by it. We can even have confidence that the rain is going to come. That we've heard kind of the sound of it. But that isn't good enough. You see the world, and we're very aware of the politicians. We're lots of talk, lots of promises. We need to see more. 
See, we can be like Ahab, and, and he just said, well, okay, let's go. Let's eat and drink. Let's go back to the place of comfort. Let's be satisfied with the, the promises, this truth of rain. Or we can press in for more. You can even go away and memorize. There's lots of promises about rain and things like this and God's abundance in the Bible. But I don't know about you, but do we yearn for more? Are we hungry for more? I can't tell from your face. Oh, God, God, let us hunger for more. And, uh, and if so, I'd say let's pay attention to what I'm just gonna, we're going to learn from the life of Elijah. You see, you can be happy with the sound or you can press in and say, I want to see that sound become a reality. There's many sounds. The Bible echoes with sound of truths, of promises. They're all over the place. It's a different matter to see them outworked in our lives, in our times, in our situations. And that's the challenge, that's the invitation that he is inviting us into. So the first thing that we can uh, uh, need for that is hunger. Hunger. That's the link to seeing every kind of cloud outworking manifestation of God's glory, revival, if you want to use that phrase. I've just been reading a book. Uh, it's a great book, brought it up. I don't often bring recommendation books. Fasting for Fire. And, um, and they said something. Um, like I say, I, love, I studied uh, revivals. And this person said, she's a revival. I remember. Her speciality is studying revivals. And, uh, and she said, in my studies of revival history over the last several decades, the number one attribute that is present in the beginning of almost every revival, and I was anticipating her saying, kind of like prayer, uh, or maybe fasting, I didn't say it. I looked at is hunger. And that kind of really hit me. As somebody who's kind of studied and looked at revivals for many years, because hunger was the strongest component that initially stirred people to pray, position themselves, press in, and be desperate for a move of God. And so for the first kind of challenge to myself is, you know, and to us as a, as a church is, what does that look like for us? We even talked about it, sang about it today, about hunger. How are we going to press into it? You know, we took a time um, before Christmas where we, where we fasted. What does it look like for us now? If you remember, I think it was Claire who talked about the bridegroom fast. And there's a verse in the Bible, and Jesus said, When I'm here, you won't fast, but when I go, you will fast till I return again. As far as I know, he hasn't returned yet. And so my question to myself is, as followers of Jesus, what does fasting look like for us in this season? And I don't necessarily have an answer. I've, uh, I know a few people have said they're going to carry on fasting, like Mondays and Thursdays. I know somebody else has said they're going to begin to uh, do three-day, seven-day fast. And there's no kind of like prescription, but it's like, what does that look like for us? You see, one of the things that hit me from this book was, you know, they said the main reason you should fast is that you get hungry. And I know physically you get hungry, but it's to have that. It's like, they say it's the best tool to have that hunger. Maybe that doesn't work for you, but we need to get hungry. God responds to hunger, and that's a great way of doing it. Secondly, we see what... Elijah did. So now we flick on. I can't make any more mistakes because this is my last slide. Lessons were seen a downpour. Firstly, he kind of withdrew from the crowds. And it wasn't just the crowds. In some ways, you could say success. 
He could have stayed there, but Elijah wanted more. He didn't want only to be known as a prophet who brought fire. He wanted to be known as a prophet who brought rain. Because in that kind of context, like I said, fire is great, fire is awesome. People would have spent many a night talking about the days. Do you remember when Elijah called out and fire fell? Whoa, great. But rain was more important. Because to be honest, if rain hadn't happened, they would be dead and they would be able to tell any stories about the fire. Rain was crucial. And so that aspect of withdrawing from the crowds or the things that distract us. I was reading something, uh, like I said, I love revivals. And um, there's a revival that happened April the 9th, 1905. It's called the Zuzu Street Revival. The greatest revival numerically has ever happened uh, in the world. A lot of kind of denominations were birthed out of it. And there were a couple of key guys, and one of them was a guy called Frank Bartman. And he said... Um, he says in the early meetings before the revival was birthed, there was no closing at 9 p.m. shop, as preachers have to do this day in order to keep the people. We wanted God in those days. We did not have a thousand other things we wanted before him. And that phrase hit me. We did not have a thousand other things we wanted before him. And so what does that mean for us? And I don't know what it means. I know for me, uh, one of the challenges I've had I've been writing this talk about a week ago is, you know, in a number of my kind of work situations and family situations, I just have a few things that are just getting before him. They're just things that are kind of like bugging me on my mind, things I feel like I need to sort out. And it's kind of the first thing my mind often goes to in the morning and before I go to bed as I kind of, yeah, I'm praying them through. And it's like, no, I need to make God the soul. Secondly, we see from the passage, he withdrew from the crowds, and he kneeled. He had this posture. He had his face between his knees, this kind of humble dependence. This rain, if it's going to come, it's got to come from God. And so I just throw that out. Have we as a church got that right posture? Just before God, crying out to him. Thirdly, his prayer was based on God's divine promise in nature. God had said to him a few passages earlier, and Nigel referred to it in 1 Kings 17. You know, it's not going to rain until you, you know, pray, and then it's going to rain again. What are the kind of prayers and things that we are praying for, crying out for? I've shared some of this before when we were doing fasting, but, you know, things like John 14, verse 12, where Jesus said, you know, you are going to do greater things. It was great what God did with Sean, you know, seven, two, three, whatever. But I want to see the lame walk. I want to see the blind see. I've seen that and some of it, and I've heard about it. It's one of these things where there's been a sound. If you want an example of a sound, I heard sounds like that. And some of those sounds are immediate people. It's not like, oh, two or three removed. You know, the guy I work with in uh, Admir, some of you know him in Ethiopia. I've heard stories from him if you're my mailing list. You know, people like him and his team that oversee, they've seen the dead raised. I haven't yet not got there. I've seen or heard the sound. And I hold on to verses like, like that. You know, the, the verse we love in the vineyard from kind of Luke 4, Jesus kind of manifesto. You know, him coming, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to set the captives free. Recovery of sight for the blind. 
You know, these truths, one of the ones I've been pressing into recently is, uh, it's funny how you forget verses in the Bible. And this one's just come back to me. Isaiah 54, verse 13, it says, All your sons will be taught by God, and great will be your children's peace. Whoa. Some of you, if you've got kids, you'd be more aware of that, and maybe it'll hit you more. You know, the social media is trying to teach our kids. Uh, in schools, some doing better, some worse. But it, are also trying to teach and mold our children. Some better ways and some lower ways. But social, social media, it's like, whoa, God, I'm holding on to that. My children, my boys and girls are going to be taught by you. And one of the things that I know Joe's mentioned a few times to different people, this aspect of peace, the mental health issues, one of the reasons why we got this bus, why we want to get that bus on the road is to begin to help this kind of generation. Um, and it's not just limited to youngsters. You know, it's, it seems to have swept across the board of mental health well-being. It says, and great will be their peace. Well, not just a little bit. These are the, and I'm just throwing out some. If I had loads of time, we'd spend more. But these are some of the things. Elijah's prayer was based on the divine promise. What are the divine promises are we holding on to? I just shared a few of mine. Maybe you can grab hold of them. Maybe you have some of your own. But we need to have to grab hold of some of those things. And that links into the next point. His prayer was definite to the point. What do you want to see? What do you want to contend for? I was reminded what Joe said, uh, said a couple of times. And since this carpet, again, my apologies, you haven't been around, but this carpet's new. And, uh, and Joe's been praying very definitely for a number of years uh, to see it um, changed. And one of the things I remember a shame where her heart was like, what does God want me now to be the definite prayer? And what, what is that for us? What do you want to see? Fifthly, the prayer was fervent. You know, James 5, 17, it says, you know, he prayed with earnestness. Now, earnestness doesn't mean, the background I was brought up, earnestness meant let, get louder. Earnestness is not to do with loudness. Sometimes it does become loud, but it's to do with the heart. Fervent prayer means it's not mechanical, it's not half-hearted, but kind of with our lives. Or as uh, Jesus modeled, and it's referred to in Hebrews 5, where it says Jesus offered prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears. Maybe just think about it as fervent, earnest prayer. Prayers that kind of grip your heart. Prayers that you cannot just let go of because they keep bugging you and following you around. It's, it's more than just a prayer that you say. It's a prayer that just follows you. And, uh, and we need that. And I wouldn't say I'm necessarily there because sometimes even some of the things I just mentioned, sometimes I pray for them one day and sometimes I don't pray for them another day. If I'm honest before you, but it's like, God, I want to grow in that. Contend for these things. Sixthly, it says, you know, he, he was watchful. You know, he kept saying, well, he kept saying his servant, go and watch, see what's happening. Are we watchful? You see Ahab just had his feet up. Yeah, maybe it'll come, maybe it won't come. Yeah, it sounds great. Yes, I love that verse. Elijah was somebody who was going to contend for it. And he kept looking and kept looking. You know, even the stuff that Joe did this morning, since of praying, the thing you know we're pressing into. Let's go for it again. We're just watching. What's God doing? What's God doing? What's God doing? We want to see more. Let that be our posture as God takes us into this season. Whatever God leads us into this season, let this be the foundation, the underpinning of what we do, our heart attitude. Lastly, he, he, he persevered. And, um, and it rained. Yeah. 
It rained. I mean, those guys would have just gone wild. I've seen it before. I remember once being in Ethiopia and there'd been a famine. And uh, it's probably the closest I've ever got to a story like this. And those who know me know that when I pray for countries, I often make a map that you put bedsheet. You guys are thinking, what are you talking about? You just project a map onto a bedsheet. You can draw an outline of the country. And once you've got that map, you can do all sorts of things. You can dance in it. You can lay your hands on it. So we had this map up on a wall, and we were uh, using precious water to make um, water bombs using balloons and just saying, God, we want your spirit, your water to fall on this, uh, this country. And then halfway through, we were throwing it on this map. The heavens broke. The famine was gone. It hadn't rained for six, seven months. I'm not saying it's just us. But that map got saturated because we were outside, because most things are outside there. And so my, my challenge, invitation to us, to myself, as much as anybody else is, are we going to be that like that? Are we going to be Ahab's or are we going to be Elijah's today? And some of this is kind of individual. I was just talking about fasting and, and praying. But there's also an aspect of corporate to it. And some of it maybe haven't totally outworked, but that's why we do things like come Holy Spirit and tomorrow. It's just an opportunity where we can gather and we say, God, we want more. God, we do not know what we're going to, we're going to do. And uh, some of us who run it, some of us joke that when we turn up, we actually don't actually know what we are going to do. Certainly I don't. I'm just like, I know there's going to be some worship. And then I'm like, God, this is yours. But I know that deep down, the, the kind of foundation of it is, I want more in my life, in the life of my community, in the life of our uh, church. And then we have things like, I know this doesn't work for a lot of people, but on Thursday mornings, for example, we have a specific prayer. I know there's lots of prayer meetings. If you're not aware, there's lots of prayer meetings that happen for different areas uh, in our church. But we do have one that's specifically uh, occurring on the Thursday morning. And if that ever works for you, turn up. It's a blast. Uh, 9.15. But maybe it's seen that you go away and there's a life group or with other people. In some ways, I don't want to get into much the practicalities of it. What I want to touch on is the heart. It's the something that we're going to press in and hunger for. So just to finish, we're just going to play a, a video. So if we can just play a video just to finish off. There's a story in the Bible about Elijah that he believed for...